Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, episode 194. Guys, look, I appreciate you all for following along and listening along. It does mean so much here. Uh, guys, look, draft talk is getting tedious, whether it's Twitter or any social media platform. Look, just hang in there, guys. Just hang in there. As far as what's going to happen, I cannot give you a final answer on that. I don't think anybody can. I do appreciate the fact the way that John Dorsey is handling his business on the fact of trying to do the best job he can to keep it as quiet as possible. Uh, joining us here this evening, coming back again on Locked On Browns, obviously from Pro Football Focus, John Costco. John, first off, how are you holding up? Second off, you know, where, where, where are you at here? Uh, you know, six days away? I mean, yeah. obviously, I mean, you spend it, you know, you got to spend it umpteen hundreds of hours doing this, but, you know, where are you at as far as, you know, what we're hearing and all that type of stuff? Yeah, so, um, you know, we, I pretty much have been trying to avoid Twitter for the most part recently because it's just been crazy because you get all sorts of different things from all different directions. Uh, you know, you've got people standing for Josh Allen and then you've got the other side of it that really hates it. They just argue, and they don't even argue over the right things. <laughs> uh, and then, then they nitpick based on uh, John Dorsey. Uh, oh, yeah, hand size matters, but then he says a bunch of other different things. And, you know, you get people that oh, hand size. It means it's Josh Allen. It's like we have no clue what's going to happen in, in six days. Well, and um, then they pick and choose it, though, because then there was winning and accuracy. But the people who want it to be Josh Allen... They're only going to take the one tidbit out of it that that fits the narrative, and it's just like I mean, guys, if you're going to glue to the pressers, that's fantastic, but listen to every word the man says. Then either don't listen or listen to it all. Yeah, exactly, and and in the end, you you listen to it all, and you it comes away with you know giving a positive light on on each one of the guys without directly doing so, and um, there's no information that you can really glean from that. So um, essentially. We don't know what's going to happen until the draft night, and uh, fighting over, you know, over his words. I think is just a futile effort. Oh, exactly. And uh, guys, mud is brown. There was mud on a car tire today, so that means it's Josh Allen because he wore brown at Wyoming. I mean, just, I mean, I know. I mean, for some of you guys, you're just trying to have fun with it, but I mean, it gets to the point where I mean, it is literally, you know, head against pavement. Look, we may know by Wednesday night. We may know by Thursday morning, but look, if John Dorsey hasn't tipped a hand yet, he's not going to tip a hand. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do with John, though, uh, guys, look, uh, PFF, everything is done differently. Uh, I don't want to say it's done uniformly, but they view everything their own way. So they handled up, you know, they got together 32 riders. They did their own complete full mock draft. You know, so it's it, it, the reason I wanted to do this is because it was kind of fun because it, it, it differs from the norm which is one of the coolest things about it because, look, I mean, we all have our dream scenario for the five picks in the top 64. And, you know, John brings it here through the draft he did with all these other guys through their research, through the amount of time these guys puts in, which is substantial. Ask any one of these guys' wives who work at PFF. They'll tell you. But, uh, so, uh, John, we'll start. And this one, it, 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 the first pick, it, 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 it doesn't not make any sense. I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, I think first off, you know whether or not you want to gamble on a guy who's just six foot and change, one overall. But anything that we saw any quarterback play last year, 
if you're basing it on what you what you watched, what these guys did, there's no surprise that Baker Mayfield should be strongly in contention for the number one overall pick. Yeah, exactly. You know, you look on the on-field play and what these guys are capable of doing, uh, and who's coming out uh, as as most polished, uh, who is most accurate, most the best decision maker, uh, throws you know a high percentage of big time throws, uh, efficient in the red zone, efficient on third downs, uh, efficient on all downs at all levels of the field. Uh, and, and that's Baker Mayfield. And it doesn't matter pretty much any way you, you look at the numbers. And we look, we have the, uh, our new advanced QB charting, which is looking at the ball placement and also looking at, um, you know, tight coverage versus open coverage and uh, wh- where his reads are and what kind of off is he going from, a, uh, you know, coming off of his first read in his progression to the second, third. Uh, is he checking it down, whatnot. It's just looking at almost, pretty much anything you can think of uh, whether it's he's in rhythm or he's not in rhythm, everything doesn't matter. He's either the top in the class or he's second best in the class, and it's pretty phenomenal in terms of how you and what you look at in terms of what he is. Uh, you look, you have you hear guys that say, "Oh, if he was six foot two, he'd be a slam dunk number one overall pick." So why does him being at six foot and a half, which is also taller than Drew Brees and Russell Wilson? Why does that prevent him from being this, still the top guy in the draft? And uh, his grades, you know, our production grades from him, uh, it was got better every single year uh, and at an extremely elite level as well. So um, it, it's, it's really difficult to find flaws in his game. Uh, you, you talk about, you know, the open receivers at Oklahoma. Yeah, he did throw the highest percentage of open receivers in, in the, of this class, but he was also the most accurate when he did so. But he was also the most accurate when you throw in tight coverage window throws. So, uh, and it's and it's not like he was that far off from the class average in terms of how often he threw deep, uh, tight window throws. So he, you know, no matter what way you slice it, he's just the top of the guy in the class. Well, look, I mean, you're completing damn near seventy. You're completing seventy percent of your your passes. I mean, it's it's obvious. And you know, everybody wants oh well, you know, the Pac-12 defenses. And this is another thing that gets. I mean, I'm sorry, the Big 12 defenses. This is another thing that gets me down. Well, they're still better than the Mountain West Conference defenses. So, I mean, you know, if, you, if your guy's your guy, that's fine. Um, with Baker, you know, he comes right in. It, it does seem that maybe the Tyrod Taylor move, because, look, I, if you're drafting Baker Mayfield, I don't think he's sitting long. Um, so I don't think you take a guy and, and you throw everything out there where you pretty much think he's going to be your guy for 2018. Because Baker Mayfield, if there's anybody that is probably the most ready to go of this group, there is no doubt about it, is Baker Mayfield. He's 23 years old. He's got the most experience out of everybody. He's got the most, you know, he played the most games. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with him. I'm okay with it being Josh Rosen, which if you go by, you know, I think it was Ben Albright who put it out last night that maybe two teams within the top six, he's not on their boards. You kind of, if you want to look at the odds there, uh, Cleveland holds two of those selections. So maybe there's a good shot Josh Rosen isn't on that board. You know, obviously Sam Darnold. So if it was one of those three, I can understand it. And I, and I don't have an issue with it being Baker Mayfield because, look, if any team needs a little swag on the offensive side of the ball, you know, a guy who doesn't care that this team went 1-31 for the last two years, Baker Mayfield is 110% going to bring you that type of guy. So if he's your guy at one, you have the ammo to why it makes sense in spades. So, 
maybe look until we know who the guy is we don't know who the guy is if it is him uh, there's no issue with rolling on that way now I don't know if he did this one just for me John the Florida State guy in me but uh, you know kept pick four uh, Derwin James uh, you know definitely a defensive switchblade uh, and it's rare that you can say a guy could probably play a little corner can play some safety could play some linebacker a nickel and dime and you want to know what if you want to get really nuts he, he can do some edge rusher stuff too. It's a rare, rare trait that, you know, skill set that Derwin James is bringing to the table. Yeah, um, you know, and the reason why I picked him at four, and, and I had a lot of questions about this one, even from some of the guys at PFF, like, uh, question, oh, so you're, gonna, you're giving up on Jabril Peppers already. Uh, you know, I had same questions at that on from Twitter. I had people like, oh, you can't take a safety that high. Um, when it comes down to it, uh, he's he was our number. We have our, our number one non QB in, in the draft is uh, Maurice Hurst out of uh, yes. Michigan, but he plays defensive tackle, uh, and so you know right behind him, and it's not a very big gap in our eyes between Derwin James and him. Derwin James plays a much more valuable position. I, for me, I, I tried trading back. I thought that was the best move at four, but um, I couldn't get any offers from pretty much at PFS. So. I took him because he was the best player at the most valuable position uh, on the field, you know, outside of quarterback. So uh, a guy that can can cover the slot, that can cover deep, can stop the run, can uh, blitz from the you know any spot on the field, that is extremely valuable. You think you think uh, Harrison Smith and how much he adds to that Vikings defense. That's the type of player that J- Derwin James could become. And he can he can cover your tight ends, your running backs, your slot receivers. He can do it all, um, and he does it. He graded out at an extremely high level. You know, he had the one year where he was injured, and uh, the two other seasons that he's had full seasons, he graded as the top safety we've had. So uh, this is a guy that I was extremely comfortable with at four. And, he, and you know, when you look at what Greg Williams, you know, you should never draft uh, based on the, the defensive coordinator. Or who the coach is there? You should really just take talent. But Greg Williams liked playing with in dime and nickel situations. He was there at 85 percent of the time with LA last year with the Browns. It dropped you know way down. He was at more like 65 percent base, cover, you know, just a four-three and three mm-hmm. linebackers out there. So it, I I believe that he would want to go back to having a big nickel, you know, having the that type of versatility, more secondary guys, and you just flat out cannot have more enough secondary talent. You have one injury to a guy, and that can ruin your secondary. Well, I think one of the things, and, and this is the best thing about Derwin James, is, you know, as an offense, you're going to look around uh, you know, at, at where the defense is lining up, and Derwin James can do anything. So, I mean, he's an ultimate wild card. It's going to be very difficult, you know, and, you know, I mean, you know, as far as quarterbacks, what he's going to do, I mean, he could be in your grill one second, he could be 30 yards downfield, he does a little bit of everything. Uh, Matt Bowen uh, from ESPN was on, um, and, and now Matt played for Greg Williams. He was a guy who was big on Derwin James. You know, would definitely be a guy Greg would be interested in, just because of the fact that he, he is a ridiculous athlete. He's a hard hitter, and he brings so much to what you want to do. You can give him basically almost every role, except asking him to play an interior defensive line position, and he can do it. And he, he, he's going to hold his own. So he was very high on it. So a guy like you know Derwin and look you know if I can get a little bit of Tallahassee in Cleveland, I'm more than happy with that. 
so then we dipped on down. So obviously, you know, for the most, you know, for the first five picks, obviously you, you, you held for it. Now Tavon Bryant's an interesting guy. Uh, you know, here's another guy, uh, really, really good athletically. Um, it would have been interesting to see if maybe he played with a better defensive unit in Florida. Um, look, I'm not kicking the Gators while they're down. Well, maybe I am a little bit. Program's a little bit down right now. If Taven had maybe played with some of the caliber that's come out in years past, maybe things would have been different. But here's a guy, I think, athletically, and we're still there's still some work to be done with a guy like Taven Bryant. Yeah, and you know, in terms of our grades, he's a guy that um, was above average the year prior, and this year it really took off. And you know, our our grades look more at you know not just tackles and sacks. He's he's looking at how are you disrupting this play and um, you know, are you forcing the cut away from you to, to get it to somebody else to make the tackle? Uh, whatever, you know, all the stuff that, you know, coaches are looking at for your defensive tackles, and he was doing that. You know, he graded out at almost, a, you know, at an elite level. He was at an 89.1 this year. And our grades, when it, when you look at, our, um, you know, our Atlanta analytics team has, has looked at it, how our grades translate to the NFL. And, and for a defensive lineman, they, they translate really well. So this is a guy that, he should be able to. This should translate, and then you see it on the table or on the field, and it's he's you know obviously disruptive. He's athletic. He has a great burst. Uh, he just he just wrecks offensive lines, and you know you, you can look at a number of games of his, especially that Texas A&M game. He was just all over the place. So you know, I, you know, full disclosure with this draft, I was looking to trade up from that 33 spot into the, into the you know late teens, early 20s to try to get a quarterback. Uh, trying to get Jair Alexander, somebody like that. But they were, they were. Ta he was taken, um, and it would have really taken, from, in my mind, too much to give up to get to trade up to get there. Uh, so I stood pat, and, and I took Tatum Bryant. He's, he's a fantastic defensive tackle. It's a position of need for the Browns. They're, they are, you know, everybody likes to say, oh, they have got Caleb Brantley there, and you, you know, Ogan Joby. It's like, well, you, you did lose um, Danny Shelton. And after, after those top two guys, it really kind of drops off. Uh, Jamie Meter's a fine plug-and-play type guy. Trevin Coley, you know, he started last year, and he really shouldn't have been. It should have been Ogan Joby. 100%. Um, so you need to get more disruption there, and Tatum Bryant can do that. He, you know, pairing that with Ogan Joby, that's going to be – that would be really, really disruptive in interior defensive uh, line. So um, just bolster that. That's important. And, you know, I, I maybe I should have gone for a secondary guy, another one, a quarterback, but uh, had to get had to get some type of interior penetration. Well, the best way to help a, you know, secondary is to, you know, improve the D-line. And just the thought of him standing next to Larry Ogunjobi with, you know, Manny Ogba and Miles Garrett. Good Lord. I mean, you know, that's that's some fun stuff right there. Guys, uh, oh, yeah. Cavaliers, Chris Manning, Locked On Cavs doing a fantastic job. Uh, I know you guys are very interested in how your Cavaliers are doing through the playoffs, so go ahead and check out Chris. He's got you covered with every show daily there and what's going on in the world of LeBron James and the Jamesettes. Yeah, we're, we're recording this, and it's just the halftime of that game. LeBron only has 13 points, and I wonder what's wrong. <laughs> He's just saving for that 30-point third quarter. It's probably that's what's going down here. Uh, now, this one's interesting because I, I, I'm kind of interested that he went at 35 overall. Because it still seems people are, you know, Calvin Ridley, top wide receiver off the board. But now that we're to the point where, you know, everything is in, and I wish we were this close to the draft, I look at a Calvin Ridley and know that he's closer to 24 than he is 23. I know his athletic numbers. And now you come in with a guy who's at 21 years old. His athletic numbers are 
through the roof. And you go ahead and take DJ Moore here at 35, which I'm fine with. I, I mean, for me, the biggest surprise is DJ Moore not going in round one because I just think everything just lines up for him perfectly. And I, I'll be honest, I don't know if I see Calvin Ridley as a round one player anymore. Yeah, so um, I think I think the age thing with Calvin Ridley is a little overblown. And it's obviously the, you know... Well, for me, it's it, for me, it's the combo of he's not going to get any more athletic than he is now, and I I've got a guy who I've got three years younger, who is the better athlete. So, and you know, and a lot of people want to say, oh well, Calvin Ridley's ready to go, but I do think it's a little bit of the Michael Thomas thing from Ohio State. Look, Michael Thomas hit the ground running, but Calvin Ridley's not coming from a, a sophisticated passing offense. So there could be a hiccup or two for him wherever he ends up. Just because that's you know that's not the way it, it rolled down in Tuscaloosa and a couple of years with Jalen Hurts, I don't know how much that did for him. No, and and a lot of it though. So you look at Michael Thomas when he was at Ohio State, uh, his production numbers weren't great, uh, yep. but the fact was that like he knew how to run routes and he knew how to uh, def- you know, beat the, the the leverage of the defensive back when to make his breaks and how to set them up so that he could he could defeat their leverage. And, you know that's translated. That's something that translates. Knowing how to subtly move uh, in your routes to create separation, Ridley actually does that really well. Uh, Sam Monson wrote an article just recently on, for the website ProFootballFocus.com about how he just simply gets open. And I think you know you can. It's a good comparison in terms of you know Mike Thomas and Calvin Ridley. Both of them have, uh, played with subpar quarterbacks or. These quarterbacks that just didn't get them the ball, and it wasn't—they weren't the focal point of the offense. Um, so when Mike Thomas went to the NFL, he's, he's exploded with a quarterback that's you know a Hall of Fame guy. Uh, Calvin Ridley could do the same. Obviously, that's you know it, he might get put into the wrong situation. You know, it'd be like with uh, if you go to the Browns and, and the Deshaun Kaiser or something like that, where you, he can't hit you on 50% of his targets. You're going to struggle no matter what, and, and unless unless you're an all-world athlete like a, a Josh Gordon who can uh, who can get open regardless of who's covering you. So I think I think Calvin Ridley can still be a, a really good wide receiver in the NFL. Um, maybe not the uh, number one type guy, but you know, for me, like with DJ Moore, I picked him because he's essentially, what, in terms of my eyes, was the top guy on on the board. I was looking at cornerback. I was looking at maybe a trading back. Um, I had a guy that actually wanted to trade up, but he wanted to take uh, Cam uh, Cortland Sutton. Uh, he was he was obviously taken before then, so I felt like DJ Moore. I, I couldn't actually believe that he fell that far in our draft, and uh, he, you know, it's it's an easy comparison and maybe a lazy comparison to make, but he uh, his grade profile and athleticism, a lot of it resembles Stefan Diggs, who also was at Maryland, so. Um, you know, if he's a guy that you know he can win contested catches, he's really good at the slot and outside. Yeah, this is this is a guy that I think, you know, uh, it doesn't say, hey, I'm giving up on on Corey Coleman, but you know, in, in terms of winning in the NFL, you've got to have multiple weapons to be able to do that with in the offensive side. Uh, you know, if Corey Coleman obviously you know takes an, a leap in the third year, that's great, but you've also got DJ Moore where you can you can slowly bring along and develop and and let them uh, come come about so um, I think him being with that group you know getting them in there with Jarvis Landry who can uh, obviously is a, is a polished veteran 
that's just I think that's just a good situation for the Browns. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. If somebody goes down to injury, whatever. Uh, DJ Moore is a guy that can can step in. One of the things we've been preaching this offseason is the Browns absolutely 110% needed to basically double up insurance-wise on the wide receiver position. Look, as fantastic as Josh Gordon is, it, it's it, it's the tiniest thing away from he could be gone forever. Look, Corey Coleman, look, I am a Corey Coleman fan, but when now here we are going into year three and he's had major missed time in two years, and you can't keep going back to these Bryce Treggs and Kaysen Williams and things of this nature. You need to bolster the core. First off, you have every asset to do it. So it's foolish, and it was even foolish last year, that they ended up in this. Look, I mean, I know last year was a lot harder to get guys to Cleveland. So that's why you basically maybe gave Kenny Britt a little bit more than anybody else was going to and take that gamble. But you need to back up these guys here, and you need a deeper core. Um, obviously, you kind of... Uh, now, this is the one where everybody's going to kind of go, Who? But go ahead, Josh. <laughs> Greg Stroman, obviously, with pick 64, uh, last pick of the second round for Cleveland. Yeah, cornerback from uh, Virginia Tech. You know, Virginia Tech's pumped out some pretty solid cornerbacks uh, in recent years. And uh, this this guy's just another one with some, like, ridiculous stats. So, um, you know, this, you know, look, if you go to Pro Football Focus and you pull up the draft guide and you can learn more about him, um, and, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he allowed a paltry pass rating that's 26.8 uh, this past year. He had not, uh, nine passes defended, four interceptions. He did give him two touchdowns, but he only allowed 237 yards all season long. You look at the previous year, that wasn't just a fluke. He also only gave up 233 uh, the previous year. So uh, he's a guy that gets his hands on the ball. Uh, he's a bit smaller, but he's pretty athletic. Uh, and he's just a guy that was you know, really efficient in our grades. It's gotten better each of the past couple of years. And like I've said uh, a couple of times now, you can't have enough talent in the secondary. This was our top cornerback on the board at this point in, in time, and I needed to get a guy that I, I was comfortable with. He can, he's a guy that can play inside and outside. Um, and so he's just one of these guys that, you know, maybe uh, you know, I, liked, I like him what I see on tape. You know, he's, he's smooth this is, uh, with his, his, his hips, you know, in and out of breaks, covering routes and matching up in man. Uh, but so, you know, maybe it's going to translate to the NFL with the, obviously the great numbers that he had. He only about 25% of his catches been caught this past season. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a guy that I, I like on tape. Uh, he's, you know, a number 12 position rank at cornerback. So, like, they really flew off the boards in the first two rounds. And uh, he's a guy I think that could come in and, and help this uh, unit. Well, you can never have enough coverage, guys. You can never have enough guys to rush the passer. So, you know, I can understand the reason there. Um, and the other thing is is everyone says, oh, well, they signed a bunch of corners in the offseason. They can easily move on from this entire secondary other than the safeties going into 2019 if that's the way it goes. So you might want to, you know, I do think cornerback is something they're going to address. A number one, they don't really have a number one here. But A number two, they don't have a lot of guys who are going to be here for the long haul, basically the way they structured all these contracts on the guys they signed. So cornerback is definitely something they're going to be looking into. Uh, now, I, I, I want to add this too. So, like, with, when it comes to the coverage, it's it's not a, a very stable uh, metric that that there is. You know, you could you could have a pass rating that you allow uh, in the, in the 30s one year, and it can balloon to 100 just because of you know a, a couple of fluke plays. 
Uh, so it, it fluctuates quite a bit, and our analytics guys have shown, have seen that. You want to have, obviously, when you when it comes to what adds wins to a team, coverage is the number two thing. That if you have elite coverage, it boosts your your wins quite substantially. The only thing that adds it more to it is obviously good quarterback play. Uh, but the thing is, it's not stable you do. So you're going to have guys that excelled last year that are going to uh, going to be you know progressed towards the mean this year and that's the thing is that the Browns signed these guys yet DJ Carey and EJ Gaines these guys graded extremely well for us last year but previous years they actually graded poorly so it's no you know we don't know if they're going to do it again or if they'll uh, regress back to what they had shown in their first couple of seasons of the league so uh, you keep adding players to the secondary and and eventually you're going to find some really good talent and you'll at least have depth that if one guy gets hurt, you're not going to be uh, fall apart in the second thing. Yeah, or, or signing guys off the street and putting them in the significant playing time because yeah. that may have happened. Uh, <laughs> obviously, now uh, John, there was some sort of trade that went down here. Obviously, with you know a you know with now a third round pick and two fi- fifth round picks left. So maybe go ahead and explain that and then get into your third round pick. Yeah, uh, so definitely like so, the Edruster thing because I, I think one thing I've screamed all off season is an Elmus Doomerville type is kind of what this defense needs. So go ahead. Yeah, so uh, Justin, I traded up for Justin Lawler, an edge defender at SMU, and he's not going to be that, that Elvis Doomer type, type. That'll be my probably closer to the second pick that I, edge guy that I take. But this is a guy that was incredibly productive in college this past year. He had the highest grade of any edge defender that we had this past year. Uh, not overly athletic, but I thought that, you know, in terms of, I did a number of the SMU games this year. He just got it done with good technique. He, you know, he had a good first step, and he had used a lot of power and pad leverage. Uh, had a pretty good bend on the edge. So he's a guy that I think not. He's not going to start day one, but he's a guy that um, that can come in and you know in, in sub packages and you know do well and provide good depth for the for, at the edge. Um, and then in time, perhaps turning to a quality starter in the NFL. Right? I mean, he's just a guy that, um, you know, he's, he's not going to wow you with any type of athleticism, but he just, just got it done. The trades that I made, I went up from 100, you know, the round four, 114th overall pick, and we swapped uh, six round picks to do so. So it wasn't too, I didn't have to give up too much at all to, to do that. And, um, I know a lot of people don't know who just Justin Lawler is from SMU, but he just got it done. So okay, so then we, we will move on, and this actually kind of you know it ended up being a shorter mod draft here. So with two fifth, fifth round picks, went ahead and doubled up on cornerback, went and doubled up on first off I, this guy from Memphis. Before, you know, I'll let you get to Maddox first, but uh, you know. My oldest daughter's name is Avery, so if I can sneak in a Gerard Avery and a guy whose game I do like, that works perfectly for me. You know, maybe we'll you know throw a couple shekels on a Browns jersey. Oh my God, where's my head at? But uh, go ahead and explain these last two picks that you made, John, before we get onto some other stuff here, guys. Yeah, so Avante Maddox out of Pittsburgh, uh, another guy that's pretty small but incredibly athletic uh, and with some more uh, really good coverage numbers. Um, he's a guy that you know. He, he got his hands on 10 pass breakups and two interceptions this past year over the course of his career at 26 and 8. Um, out of Pittsburgh, he allowed just 53% of his targets to be caught. Uh, and then, obviously, just another cornerback, just somebody to put in there. 
you know, he's, he is on the smaller side. He's probably going to be a guy that you want in the slot. Uh, but he he's a feisty he's a feisty player, and he does do pretty well when blitzing the, the off the off of the, the slot position. So, um, you know, I, this is a this is a pick that I didn't have to make a trade up for, and I just wanted to bolster the the secondary further. All right, and then go on ahead and close it on that with Mr. Avery out of Memphis. Uh, you know, yeah. it, 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 it's nice though. I mean, like Pitt, not a successful year, but a couple guys obviously with him and we. And then, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Memphis, you know, Anthony Miller, a guy on the other side of the ball that doesn't get much talked about in Gerard Avery. Yeah, I really love uh, Anthony Miller. It's a guy that if he, he falls into the back end of the second round of the Browns, should probably jump on him. But Avery is a guy that he, uh, they're projecting to play inside linebacker, at least off-ball linebacker because of his size. But he's a, he's a guy that was incredibly productive rushing the passer. Uh, he had 50 total pressures, which is the most of any inside linebacker in terms of what his, his position was. And he had nine sacks, 14 quarterback hits, 34 hurries, uh, and just 276 pass rushes. Uh, not a prototypical size and length, but like that, you know, look at Carl Lawson out of Auburn last year. That really didn't stop him. That guy was super athletic. So is Avery. Both can get it done as a pass rusher. And if you can get that type of, of play from, from uh, uh, Avery, Especially, like, I don't think he's going to fall as far as a guy that, like, I traded up to my last two picks to get him because uh, I thought, you know, this is, you know, affect the passer. you got to get after him and cover, and that's what I wanted to load up on, in this draft, and he's the guy that can do that. And as much as everybody just looks at 1-31, they look at 0-16, they don't realize the roster, there's a lot of length to it for Cleveland. So the amount of picks that they had when it started, and even the picks they have now, you know, the last thing you want to do is draft a guy and, and have to cut him. So, you know, if you want to just go ahead and get the best bang for your buck, it's certainly the way to go here. Guys, we are listening to Locked on Browns, episode 194. John Costco from Pro Football Focus kind us to join us. Guys, if you're listening through the megaphone link, I do appreciate it. But go ahead, uh, you know, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, subscribe, leave that five-star review. Appreciate it so much. Uh, we're going to move on here. Uh, a couple more questions for John before we let him go here. John, give me, in your opinion, I guess I guess we'll go with the drop first. What is the biggest name or the biggest surprise who's going to go later than people think, in your opinion? It's uh, a tough question. It's always difficult to um, to look, you know, obviously project these types of things. But I think a guy that you know was really highly touted early on in the process. Uh, that's really kind of fallen out of favor. It seems like is is Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, it's, it, it's and it's weird too, and it's really weird. It really is, and I think um, I think it's one of those things where, you know, uh, obviously as a guy that Pete Smith you love, but because of his his combine, it was so so combine. He's he's kind of falling, but when it really comes down to it, like how much does a combine matter versus what you did at, in college? And it really doesn't doesn't matter in terms of obviously if, you, if you're just above certain thresholds so like he's plenty athletic and he he got it done uh every year in his career in, in college so i think this you know he's a guy that if he starts falling somebody's gonna get a really good player uh and at, at a steal of a value i think what it is with Minka Fitzpatrick is there were so many who wanted to bring up possible cornerback talk and then when he went and tested with literally almost no tape at cornerback. And that was the difference between Jalen Ramsey, his last year at Florida State, he played the position. 
So now we went and did the testing and you had Denzel Ward, you had Jairi Alexander, guys like this blow him away in testing. It, it almost like devalued what he had done his entire career at Alabama. And it's interesting because uh, it was probably about, actually I, know, I, I, I don't know the date, but I know exactly, it was the night that Tyrod Taylor was brought in. Jairi, you know, uh, I'm sorry, not uh, him, but uh, you know, Landry, uh, you know, Jarvis Landry was brought in. Uh, Minka's high school coach lives in my town. So oh, wow. we, we actually were out with, you know, a couple of friends. It was a birthday party with some mutual things. So, you know, I was excited. I, it was the first time I'd got to meet him, lived in town with him for years. So we got to sit down and just basically talk some ball. And look, everything you hear from Nick Saban is true. He is this genuine. His high school coach telling me, that he told Minka, you know, it was about April of his senior year in high school. He's like, look, if you're going to get into trouble now, it's the best time to do it. Don't get into any trouble when you get down there. It'll be held against you for the rest of your life. And now keep in mind the same high school coach, uh, you know, coached Will Hill. And he's like, look, if you want night, you know, it's Will Hill. If you want day, it's Minka Fitzpatrick. And, you know, everything about him, it, it's almost tough to see. And, look, he's still going to go top. 10, 12, 13, 14. So, you know, maybe it's, you know, overthinking it or it's paralysis by, you know, paralysis by analysis, that type of thing, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, Make it Fitzpatrick, still a solid, solid football player. For me, I think the biggest drop, I think it's going to be, and look, I mean, I know you guys with PFF, a lot of it is, you know, with the film. I think it's Arden Key. I, I just, I have no idea what to make of him, uh, whether or not you can trust him, the weight fluctuation. I think Arden Key, Arden Key could get drafted late in the second round, and he could be a guy that could be out of the league within two to three years. There's just so much going on with him. Whatever the price tag is on an Arden Key, I don't think I want to buy it personally. But we're going to move no. on. Go ahead. Yeah, he's a guy. I agree with you. He's a guy that you look at it last year. Well, I mean, like he's had these these issues where like. He wasn't sure if he wanted to play, blah, blah, blah. And then obviously you got the weight issues. Well, yeah, which was an excuse, but that was an excuse to go to rehab. I mean, so, I mean, it's like he had to go to rehab for weed. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, dude, just put it down. Yeah. You're about to make $15 million guaranteed. Just put the weed down. But God, John. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's one of those things like, um, you know, you look, his, his body of play in terms of, well, not this past year, but before then, he was a guy that you're like, man, this, this is a legit top 10 talent. But everything like his his personality, that's a little, those are legit red flags. He's going to fall, and you know I think I don't think I'm touching him until if, if he drops into the late third round. And you're like, all right, I'm going to take a flyer on him. If you're if you're the type of team that can can do that, where you're set at your position, so you don't have to like fill a bunch of holes. Uh, he's a guy that has this monster potential, but yeah, you're right. He's a guy that I. I mean, like, he's going to be off the board for a lot of play, uh, teams, so. Oh, he would absolutely to have to be. Now, we're going to flip the coin here, John. Give me a guy that, you know, I mean, obviously, I think he kind of did it with Lawler. Um, so maybe give me another one. Give me a guy that, you know, people won't expect, but all of a sudden it's going to be, a, wow, he just went where he did, and not like a Mike Mitchell years ago to the Raiders. Yeah, so a guy that <laughs> who's going to go a lot higher than everybody thinks. Is that what you're Yes, sir. Uh... You know, I think I think uh, I think Maurice Hurst is going to go higher than what people are thinking. You know, a lot of people are, are touting him as the top end of the second round, maybe the back end of the first. But uh, his 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 tape screams 
top five talent, and I think an NFL team, one one team, it just takes one team, they're going to take him, and he's going to go top 15 in this draft. I think the thing you see with Hurst, and this is something with Aaron Donald, it, 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 some guys just, it, 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 they just pop. And, you know, I know Justice Mukeda, uh did this, and he just kept focusing in. And it was Maurice Hurst was the second fastest guy off the ball besides the center. And we're talking about, you know, everybody else knew the cadence on offense, but Maurice Hurst just reacted that much faster. Um, there's the medical question to it, but look, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not privy to it. Not many people are. He, that, he was clear. So, if, like, if they didn't he, ask him to come back. If they didn't, didn't ask him to come yeah. back, so he's, he's good. Well, that was the thing, and it kind of happened with Van Der Esch this week as well. People tried to bring up medicals, but if you don't have to go back to Indy, you know, look, it's not the issue, but, I mean, you watch him on tape. He is the fastest defensive player off the ball. And, look, he's not playing at a smaller conference. He's playing at a big, you know, playing at a power five. And, look, that is, you know, that, that sells. I mean, if you can create disruption because you were the fastest person off the ball, that is something, you know, that people are looking for. And look, even the fact that he's a little bit below 300, that's fine. He's going to get some money. He's going to eat a little better. And he's going to be right around 300 pounds. It'll be in that you know, Warren Sapp offensive tackle, I mean defensive tackle type of build. So he's going to be able to bring that to whatever team drafts him where they do. Uh, one more before we let you go here, John. Um, look, Joe Thomas ended up retiring and moving on. And look, it didn't wasn't the best situation for the Browns because if you had picks one and pick four, in a normal draft class, you could roll on out and say, oh, we'll take our quarterback at one. We'll take the best available left tackle at four. It just, there's nobody there this year. So, you know, Sean Coleman moved on. You know, I mean, Sean Coleman has moved over to the left side. Hubbard has come on into the right side. That looks like what they have now. I, I don't know. A number one, I, I don't know if you even want to fill that spot with a drafted kid a few months after Joe Thomas retired because you're putting a lot on whatever kids you drafted. But how do you feel the line's going to hold up here? And, you know, if the mock didn't work out for you, is there anybody that you would like to maybe bring in in a grooming process here as a left tackle? Yeah, so there were a couple of instances in that, that mock where I, I thought about taking an offensive tackle. But essentially, you can... I mean, you look at the obviously the interior of offensive line is, is solid. They're set. Chris Hubbard's coming in to the right tackle, and he was really good with, with the Steelers last year. And gave up this, you know, he was all people say he was just a part-time guy, but he essentially played a full season's work at, at right tackle and gave up only three sacks uh, and seven hits. So he was a guy that was really graded really well. Uh, outside of one game, which was a disaster against the Ravens early on in the season, he was he was well, well above average at right tackle. So. You have if you have four of the five pieces on the offensive line that are, are set, you're, you're going to be fine. You're going to be very good. You look at uh, what happened with the Philadelphia Eagles last year when Jason Peters went down. Yeah, the tie was bad. He gave up a lot of pressures, but you can manage that and you can protect against a one weak spot. What you can't protect against is having two weak tackle spots. So as if Chris Hubbard can lock it down there, I'm fine with how left tackle is going to look like this year with either Sean Coleman or even Rod Johnson, whoever's going to win that spot. Um, because, you know, I think you'd, you'd, you'd assume that, for one, Sean Coleman's going to continue to improve. He graded well in, in college. Uh, he showed flashes last year, but he did get beat to, uh, quite too often. So 
I'm perfectly fine with how the offensive line is going to look. Uh, there are times, like I said, I could have tra- traded up into the into the first round to get like Mike McGlinchey, but I decided not to because I thought, all right, it's good enough. Four to five pieces is good enough. You can see how these guys are going to develop. There might be spots later on in the draft that you want to maybe take a shot at offensive tackle. Um, you know, I mean, even in the second round, if you wanted to take a offensive tackle like Jamarco Jones, who might fall there. Um, you know that might be a good spot, but you know I'm perfectly fine with with just not even going at the position this this season or this draft. You know, Will Richardson out of North Carolina State, he might be a later type guy, but uh, offensive line is pretty set in, in my eyes. You might want to bolster it with later round draft picks, uh, but yeah, the, the, it's it's really it's not a situation where I think you have to uh, attack it. Like you said, filling those shoes is, is a big big ask for a uh, for a rookie, yeah. So, and but the other thing is, is, is if you already have a starting offensive line, then I mean, what exactly are, are you doing it? I mean, you know, maybe Rod Johnson, you know, you know, comes back. You know, I, I think they drafted him with the whole premise of basically banishing him for a year and you know, seeing where he was at. You know, obviously another Florida State guy. Uh, you know, Rod, I hope you took up yoga. That was my one suggestion. I think he needed a lot more bend to your game. So if he did some of that nature, we'll see. But, and also, there's just not the guy here to bring to it. But uh, before we wrap it up here, uh, John, uh, you know, what can readers, you know, listeners, everybody, what, what can they look out for here for the next few days? And what does PFF, you know, explain all the draft coverage and how you guys be putting that out? Yeah, so we're going to uh, continue to put out uh, uh, more articles on, on the draft prospects. We're going to have our uh, top, our final big board coming out pretty soon. It's going to be the top 250 guys. Um, go over to PFF. Uh, ProFootballFocus.com. There's we have our draft guide there. Uh, you get it by by signing up for PFF Edge, which will get you the draft guide, the QB annual, and the free agent guide. And then it's going to get you the grades that, that you know every single week for for the NFL uh, teams. So yeah, it gets you a lot of a lot of uh, stuff for just uh, an Edge subscription, which is our cheapest subscription. But um, you know, we're just we're gonna keep pumping out some more. I don't have any articles myself coming up, but there there is an article that was posted today, uh, uh, looking at the drafts, the previous drafts of of the AFC North, which has obviously the Browns in there, and how those uh, picks have shaken, you know, shaken out in terms of wins above replacement. Uh, and so, yeah, we're gonna be in terms of what the draft's gonna be. We're just gonna be pumping out a live draft coverage. Uh, every pick that that goes up, we're going to be we're going to be talking about it. There's going to, I think this year, like, I know last year we had an SI thing with like Steve Palazzolo, and I think Sam Monson was there and, and uh, Mike Renner. So they'll be doing some live coverage on on that as well. So uh, yeah, check it out. It's really can't get any better better draft coverage uh, anywhere else. Well, I mean, great job because I always butcher Steve's name and I feel bad when he comes on. So thanks for getting the correct pronunciation on that. But guys, make sure you go ahead and follow John at PFF underscore John K-O-S-K-O. John Costco, I appreciate it so much, guys. Follow the show at Lockdown Browns. Follow me personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, guys, I want to get the show to 2K followers. We're over. We're north of 1,900. Let's get that done before the draft here. Uh, guys, patience. Just breathe. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, look, there's going to be a lot of speculation that comes out. And, you know, whether it's smoke, whatever, guys, just just breathe. All right, enjoy your weekends, enjoy your families. Hopefully, spring's here for most of us. I got a soccer game tomorrow, 10 a.m. with my daughter and her friends. Guys, enjoy life. We don't know what's going to happen yet, so 
don't turtle up. Don't bury. Don't bury everything yet. Josh Allen's not here. Sam Darnold's not here. Baker Mayfield's not here. Josh Rosen's not here. Breathe and enjoy the next six days. Uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow night, guys. Let's go Browns.